What if everything came with a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible? Like at the cantina. I'll take a half-calf spotchka. Lightweight. Here's your free audiobook download for Master and Apprentice from Audible. Or getting your pod racer serviced. My pod racer needs upgrades to the coupling and stabilizer. And here's your free audiobook download for Resistance Reborn from Audible. Life in the galaxy doesn't work that way, but there is one place you can go where you can get a free Star Wars audiobook from Audible. And that's utini.com slash audible. Click the Audible logo and start your 30-day free trial, which includes a free audiobook download. So visit utini.com slash audible and get your free Star Wars audiobook download today. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Trust the Force. A Utini production. Rebellions are built on hope. Episode number 62, interview with Alexander Freed. Admiral, this is Blue Leader standing by. This is Gold Leader standing by. This is Red Leader standing by. On this episode, the Utini team chats with Alexander Freed, author of Battlefront Twilight Company, Alphabet Squadron, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and Shadowfall. Blue Squadron on me! And now, here are your hosts. Hold up a hammerhead Corvette, I have an idea! Dr. Corey Helton and Eric Eilerson. Utini! Alright everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Living Force Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson. I'm joined by Dr. Corey Helton, and today... We have abandoned Dr. Charles Hankel, and we are joined instead by a writer of a number of video games, including the massive Star Wars The Old Republic, comics spanning the universes of Star Wars, Dragon Age, Anthem, and more, a ridiculous amount of short stories and RPGs, and of course, Battlefront Twilight Company, the Rogue One novelization, Alphabet Squadron, and the upcoming Shadowfall. Welcome to the show, New York Times bestselling author, Alexander Freed. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. We are so excited to have you, obviously, with today, I believe, when we're dropping this, uh, Shadowfall coming out. Uh, we have all been so excited to talk about your work, talk about your world, and we are going to get into that right now. Corey, do you want to start us off? Yes, absolutely. Alexander, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, such an honor to have you. Um, we always kind of introduce this topic with with authors that we have on. Tell us a little more about your experience with Star Wars. Like, were you did you see the films for the first time? Did you get into the comics? Um, how did you first get into this big universe? And then how did you sort of cross the the bridge from film, if that's how you got into it, into sort of books and comics, that sort of thing? Sure. So, you know, my my first sort of vague childhood memory of Star Wars was uh, I think these were in the days when uh, you could rent both video cassettes and uh, VCRs. Um, you rented the entire device to play a video cassette. On. <laughs> wow. Um, and I have a very, very vague memory of uh, watching The Empire Strikes Back that way. But the, the original trilogy was, you know, that was an important part of my, my childhood. And, you know, I, I loved those films. And, you know, I did watch them over and over on, on cassette. Uh, I never, you know, I never had the toys. I never, you know, had, uh, you know, I didn't buy the Marvel comics back at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a couple of the, like, uh, photo novel uh you know children's uh you know recaps of the films but um that was that was kind of it and as much as i love them and as much as they sort of influenced my love for space opera um 
I kind of left Star Wars uh, behind as I as I got older. Um, you know, I, I saw the prequels when they came out, um, but you know that that didn't reignite a sort of love of Star Wars as a sort of franchise whole for me. They were oh well, that's that's an interesting movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a little bit into the Dark Horse comics just because uh, some of the writers who were who were working on that material, you know, John Ostrander, I was a huge fan of him from other work, and that sort of gave me a little bit of insight into what the whole EU was about. Um, but I didn't really get back into that world until kind of through happenstance, I ended up working on a Star Wars video game. Um, I had joined up uh, with Bioware as a writer, not uh, for not knowing that that was the specific project that I was going to end up on. Oh wow, um, that's a that's a fun email to get then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I suddenly found myself on this massive Star Wars project and having to get back up to speed, and mm-hmm. also to kind of approach it fresh as a writer for the first time. You know, having been away from from the bulk of you know what Star Wars was and all of the tie-in books and comics and so on and so forth, you know, I, I sort of had to find a creative path into it rather than a path as a fan, um, which I think helped me you know figure out what I was going to do with that. I think if I had come into it after being just utterly saturated in, uh, in EU material, um, I would have had a hard time separating the stuff that I really enjoyed taking in and that appealed to me as a fan versus the stuff that I might actually be good at and be able to contribute as an author. Oh, right. So it kind of helped you be a little more objective in that sense. I think so, yes. Nice. Yeah, so on that note, you you really have over your career so far, written in, like, every medium imaginable, from, like, novels, as we said, short stories, comics, obviously video games, and even RPG books themselves. Uh, Do you find that you have a a favorite medium to write in? And even if you don't, why do you like to jump around from kind of world to world like that? I'm not sure I have a favorite, um, but I do find, um, you know, I... I talk a lot about this uh, whenever anyone gives me the opportunity. Um, you know, one thing that delights me is figuring out the strengths of any given medium and then working to those strengths when, you know, that's that's the project that I'm on. So I find that if I go too long without, you know, working in prose or, you know, writing a, a branch narrative video game, I start getting a hankering for that because I, sure. I start thinking like, oh, you know, I'm these ideas as I'm working on this book, like I can't actually use these in a book. They're not appropriate for a book and they're piling up in the back of my head and I want to, you know, go over and do a video game for a while. Uh, and yeah, being able to play to those strengths, being able to sort of get into characters' heads really, really thoroughly in a novel versus, you know, everything that interactivity can give you in a video game or, you know, collaborating with an artist on a comic book. Um, that's that's what really gets me excited. Awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, you, you already kind of mentioned The Old Republic a little bit. That was like 
probably one of the first games that I followed its development from very early on until when it was released. And I played it a, a lot back in the day. I haven't touched it in, in years. Um, but like I, I remember the development of that game was so long. Like it seemed like it seemed like it just went on and on and on and on. We we heard rumors and then the story finally came out and it was incredible. We, and we a lot a lot of part of the community like really enjoyed playing that. Um, can you can you tell us a little more what it was like to work on on that game like what that process was like? I mean, had you done video game work up to that point, or was that kind of the first thing? That was my first video game project, and um, you know, I had, okay. I'd been writing in other fields before then, but that that was my first video game, um, and it was huge. Um, right, yes. you're you're not wrong about the lengthy <laughs> period. Part of that. Um, it looked a little longer from the outside, I think, just because it uh-huh. was announced early. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, so many AAA video games, you know, they, they have three to five year development cycles anyway. Yep. I think Old Republic was maybe five or six years total. So it was mm-hmm. it was on the long end, but it was also a ridiculously mm-hmm. huge game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know you you had a question in there, but yeah, it, it was my it was my first video game project, and I learned sure. so so much across the course of it. Yeah, um, it was a fantastic team. Um, one of the things that uh, the the size of that team and the skill of that team, you know, in in the years since you know that game launched, and many of those people have gone elsewhere, like. I now know people sort of there's this diaspora of old Republic alumni across <laughs> the entire industry. And it's always delightful to, you know, look at, you know, some company or, or, you know, meet up at some conference and go like, Oh wow. You're, you're there now. Right. That's fantastic. So what is What is that process like? I think working on a game, I'm very interested in that. I, I think we've got a, we have a we have a good idea. I think what it's like to work with like the Story Group and Lucasfilm and Del Rey. As far as novels go, we've talked to enough authors. I think like I think we have a, a decent idea of what happens behind the scenes there. But like, what is it like like working on a game? I and mean, how is that process like different? Sure. I mean, you know, the games industry is uh, it is diverse in its processes. Um, so you know, <laughs> depending on the game, depending on the you know the level of focus on the story for a given game, um, where writers come in is going to be very, very different. And, you know, the way things were handled at Bioware, you know, Bioware really, you know, emphasizing, you know, the nature of story and narrative within their games, uh, writers come on board very, very early on, you know, before any sort of, um, uh, you know, code is put down or art has been uh, determined. You know, you've mm-hmm. got writers in there at the very, very beginning um, and, you know, producing plot documents and, uh, you know, ideas in parallel with the development of everything else. Um, you know, for Old Republic, um, you know, we had vast, vast amounts of the uh, story and dialogue actually written before we really had a finished engine at all, Um, you know, and that's, we were a little bit on the early side, but it's very common for a story-based game to, uh, to write content and put it in sort of what we, what we call white box levels. Um, So, you know, levels that don't necessarily have art or, you know, proper gameplay, but where you can sort of play through something vaguely resembling what the final thing will be 
just sure. to test the story aspects for pacing uh, to make sure that you know these these things work on a basic level because mm -hmm. once you start going to voice acting once you start locking down all the writing you don't want to then get to the point where you go oh you know what no one understands this plot point <laughs> we actually need to make some major changes here which yeah, means yeah. not only do we need to re-record all the lines we actually need to redesign the layout of the level you know we wow. need to put this wow. rest over there because it really interrupts the flow um so you want to get as much of that figured out as you can before mm -hmm. all of the other assets are locked down and of course you're never going to do that perfectly there's always yeah. stuff yeah, sure. constantly churning through but you you try to mitigate that sure sure wow so jumping still in the video game realm to something a little different uh, a large part of our community loves playing uh, Battlefront 2 on all kinds of different platforms but they probably don't know what you may have done on Battlefront 2 can you tell us a bit about combat barks and what those are sure so combat barks are the thing that pretty much no writer in the world wants to do um, <laughs> but actually take quite a lot of work and at least a bit of skill so combat barks are when you're playing the game, when someone shouts, over there, or I'm hit, or uh, I've come to get you, um, or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. those are the combat barks. And, you know, everyone recognizes a game that does them badly, right? Because you, sure. you know, you hear the same ones over and over again. They're weirdly mm -hmm. specific. So, you know, you're like, why is why is the guy saying that exact thing every time? Like, what what an odd reference to his brother. Like, do all of these people have brothers? Uh, and, you know, for a game like Battlefront 2, you, you need thousands and thousands of them. And, you know, obviously, multiplayer mode of Battlefront 2 is not a deeply story-driven experience but it is a narrative-driven experience, right? So much oh, work yeah, has been done on every level to sort of get the feeling of Star Wars, of those particular battles, of those eras, and the sort of background dialogue is just another layer of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I worked with the uh, the DICE team on, uh, on the Barks. They were great. Um, there are companies that I've worked with that don't really care that much about you know the, the nature of their combat barks and just sort of leave it for sure. the very end and stuff in you know not quite as many as they should um mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. dice team was fantastic they were like okay you know how are we going to get this relatively background element of the game to be as sort of compelling and appropriate and you know layer in as much flavor as we possibly can we had lots of talks about okay you know how how often are these going to play you know how much how much humor should they have how much should they be informational for the player to sort of tell them what's going on versus just trying to evoke specific uh feelings and you know senses of you know, being in the fray in the moment. Um, and yeah, I ended up writing many, many, many combat parts for Battlefield. <laughs> awesome. 
That's that's hilarious. So speaking of speaking of Battlefront, um, you know your your book Twilight Company was was one of your huge forays into the Star Wars expanded universe, I, I suppose, in a lot of ways. Um, like that game or that book didn't really have like it was sort of related to Battlefront, but but also sort of separate. Can you tell us a little more about how that project kind of came about? Sure. So you know, Twilight Company was was released in conjunction with uh, the the first well the the first new uh, Star Wars Battlefront game, which did not have a story mode. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when uh, Del Rey reached out to me about uh, about doing a Battlefront novel, you know, we we had some discussions about what what does that actually mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Like what what does that mean when you are don't have an actual story connect to connect to? And you know, the the answer that we sort of determined was, all right, well, we want to be going to at least some of those same locations. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to evoke the same sort of star wars thematic imagery right so you've got a novel about a large force of sort of on the ground troops which is very much sort of what your your in the moment experience for the game is um you know i tried to make sure that there was plenty of sort of flavor of hey you know what what are these weapons actually like you know not not getting yeah not not getting too tech head into it but Right. Making that an aspect of the narrative, making it appropriate that you had characters who who cared about these things. Um, but I also got a pretty free hand on where I wanted sure. to go with it story-wise, which made it super sure. rewarding, right? Like, it's nice to to be told, yeah, you know, kind of do do whatever, just make it feel battlefronty. Yeah. <laughs> sure. That's great. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And Alexander, you are certainly kind of known as being one of the more, dare I say, technical writers in the expanded universe. Do you find like on a project like like the Twilight Company book, do you have to like, like hold back a little bit <laughs> with the tech with the tech, like descriptions of weapons and technology and that kind of thing? I don't really. I mean, the thing of it is, I don't think of myself as someone who is particularly interested in that material. I think of myself as someone who is writing characters who should be interested in that material. Uh, I, I, see, yeah. I see. Right? Like, you know, when you've got a character, you know, like the, the lead in Battlefront, like uh, like Namir, who's sort of, you know, he's he's a soldier's soldier, right? Like, he, mm. he cares about, you know, both his people, but also the tools that are going to keep him alive or not. Um, you know, someone in that situation is going to have at least some you know gearhead instincts and right. you know the same is sort of true in in alphabet squadron like it just didn't make sense to write these these pilots who were not intimately familiar and constantly thinking about their ships and how they're operating the same way if you were writing you know a novel about a nascar driver um yeah they would probably be thinking a lot about how their car was working as they drove right Um, right right so i've I've ended up in this place where i'm writing a lot of tech stuff and i enjoy doing it um but it's not something it's not a an inherent draw for me as a writer interesting interesting right so Taking off of Twilight Company, Star Wars fans then really got to know you with your adaptation of Rogue One, um, one of one of our favorite films here. Corey, I know it's still it's still your favorite film, right? It is mine. Yeah. It is my favorite Star Wars film. It is. Um, yeah. 
What was it like for you adapting the first non-saga Star Wars film? I mean, that must have been huge. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a huge opportunity. Um, you know, I was I was surprised to get it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was yeah, I was surprised to to get that uh, that email one day. Um, yeah. You know, the the biggest thing for me about it was actually. You know, I'd never written a novelization before, and it's a really strange thing to do, right? Sure. Like, as just <laughs> as an art form, figuring out how to how to take this movie that you can pretty well assume that almost all of your readers have already seen, mm-hmm. and give them something that is still worth their time to read. Right. Um, yeah. Sure. Sure. Right, because you know, if, <laughs> if you've seen the movie, the movie's going to do so much better right. than the book is going yeah. to. Yeah, I don't need to read the book. I've already seen exactly. the movie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What What do you have to offer in the book that the movie is not offering? And figuring that right. out and doing it page by page was uh, was an interesting challenge. Yeah. Do you have anything uh, specific that you you really loved being able to put in the book? Whether it's like an additional scene, an additional expansion of a character that like you really personally loved. Sure. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed kind of all of the uh, internal work that I ended up doing with Jim, um, mm-hmm. sort of getting into her, her thought processes. Um, you know, that was that was really enjoyable. Um, you know, on the more just sort of pure fun side. Uh, so the Rogue One novel has a number of sort of uh, <sighs> non-fiction in-universe manuscripts and emails and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. sort of uh with their own little sections and those were those were great fun to write getting to write sort of the the email exchanges between uh galen and krennic and tarkin and uh, (laughs) their their petty bickering and what that what that looks like inside the bureaucracy that was a lot of fun Good. I I, I would awesome. like to order at least eighteen books of bickering bureaucracy with Krennic and Tarkin, please. <laughs> like, Just emails. Yeah. yeah. Release the emails. <laughs> yeah. So and and on that note of of you loving to write Jin so much, obviously Jin plays a decent role in Alphabet Squadron as Chass's kind of inspiration. She talks about her. Uh, was it writing Jin in Rogue One that was like made you fall in love with that character a bit more to put her as that inspiration in Alphabet Squadron? Sure. So, I mean, writing writing Rogue One meant that everything from Rogue One is more easily accessed in my brain. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. So, you know, when I'm sort of when I hit something in a book where I'm like, okay, so I want to I want to tie in something here, or I want an existing Star Wars element, or is or is there anything that I can use here? You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how many times I've seen the other films. Like my brain sorts through the Rogue <laughs> One stuff with a different set of algorithms because right, you know, I had my hands in it. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going in there thinking like, "Wow, I want to," you know, I want to squeeze in a lot of Rogue One stuff. But I see opportunities to connect to Rogue One uh, in ways that I don't with other material, and I don't think that's mm-hmm. a bad thing. Like I'm oh, like, no, okay, no, sure, no, why no, not? No. Let's throw some Rogue One. <laughs> Absolutely, in yeah, uh, yes, always, always looking for more Rogue One. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, let's talk about Alphabet Squadron a little bit. Um, obviously, um, I think I think a lot of fans had had read both the Rogue One novelization and and Twilight Company, uh, kind of before you got the 
the opportunity to do the Alphabet Squadron book. But I think to a lot of people, Alphabet Squadron is really like put is what puts you on on their own personal map because a lot of fans were really looking for that sort of x-wing series from legends sort of thing in canon and i think we've heard a lot of people say you know i remember i said that our whole mission is to get people to come into the expanded universe we've had a lot of people say that that's how they got into canon actually is like they were looking for something legendsy and deep in the bowels of the internet uh, alexander freed is often mentioned <laughs> as being close to that soul, uh, sort of older x-wing series so h- how did this project kind of come about like how did you get involved in this how did those conversations kind of first begin sure so um <laughs> i i was basically approached one day um with Hey, we're we're doing a pilot trilogy. Do do you want to write a pilot trilogy for us? <laughs> um, oh and it was, it was kind of that simple. So you know, I was I was approached, uh, you know, through through Delray, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I I knew the folks at uh, at Lucasfilm as well, and you know, got in there for sort of a, a kickoff meeting. Um, you know, they wanted to do a you know a pilot based trilogy with the uh you know with the sort of alphabet squadron concept of you know mm-hmm. five different types of ships you know five different pilots um going up against some sort of elite uh, imperial unit um you know that that was all part of the pitch um the uh the uh, tie fighter comic book um that was also part of the initial pitch that we we're going to do this you know, sort of crossover between the the novels and the comics, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was most of it, right? Like there weren't mm-hmm. there weren't characters attached to it. Uh, Harrison Dula was part of the the initial pitch, beautiful, um, but the the characters of the pilots themselves were were open. The time period was determined. We we're going to do it post Return of the Jedi. Um, but it was really, you know, maybe maybe half a page of here. Here are the bullet points that we want to hit with this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. And yeah, I mean, from from there, we sort of took it and ran with it, and talked about how it was going to to interface with the the comic book side. And you know, I had a lot of uh, discussions, um, you know, with with my editor uh, Elizabeth Schaefer about, mm-hmm. you know, how did we want to craft this as a trilogy? You know, are we going to do sort of standalone books that loosely tie together? Did we want it to be one sort of mega thing? You know thought a lot about, all right, you know, how much do we want to, uh, you know, intentionally versus, uh, how much do we want to intentionally try to echo any of the original uh, EU, you know, X-Wing novel content or ideas, you know, are there other characters that we want to bring back and so on and so forth. Right. So, and, and within those conversations, you're talking about, you know, crafting a trilogy, going from half a page of bullet points to like over a thousand pages of story. Um, what do you find is so interesting to people about trilogies? I feel like, I mean, obviously we have the films are all trilogies. We, and in trilogies and books, I mean, from Lord of the Rings on seem to be kind of a nice format. What do you find that's interesting about, like, three books to tell one massive tale? So, I mean, I, I think part of it is just we've, we've become accustomed to that number. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> On a more particularly in Star Wars. <laughs> well, sure, sure, but yeah. I mean, I think what it what it allows you to do, whether it's whether it's three books or four books or whatever the exact number ends up being, it lets you. Um, so a single book 
is enough space to give one or maybe two characters a really, really sort of deep, nuanced character-based story. And, you know, every author is going to have their own sort of numbers on that, but that's, that's what I find. And once you expand to several books, you can do that with several characters and see how all of that interweaves. And I think that's really rewarding, right? Like people, people like getting this epic that gives you full character stories for a cast and watching them play against each other and watching those stories influence one another. That's yeah. really hard to do in a single novel. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, it sounds like, uh, it's very. It's always fun for us to kind of see behind the scenes a little bit because we can kind of piece together sort of. The, there's a lot of ki- there's a lot of secrets in this industry, <laughs> right? There's a lot of secrets with Del Rey and what the process of working and who comes up with ideas and that sort of thing. Like it sounds like you were pitched. It sounds like you were pitched to use Hera and a couple other characters, that sort of thing. Did you have a lot of like kind of freedom and control to kind of come up with all the other individual characters completely on your own? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I felt very fortunate to have as much freedom as I did with with Alphabet Squadron. Um, you know, obviously Rogue One, not a whole lot of uh yeah, right? sure. I mean I I mean I say that, but the, you know, Story Group and everyone was very, very open to me sort of making up entirely new scenes. But ultimately sure. like it's a book yeah. adapted from a film. You gotta um, have Jan so you gotta have cheer it. Like, yeah, that's how it goes. Yes, you can't change what happens to them. Um, yeah, they can make it out in the book, right? That's, <laughs> we can, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, we we can throw, like, uh, we can throw Kylo Ren in the middle, right? Like, he's cool. Yeah. We can just add it. Yeah, we love him. He looked great yeah. right on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, there, there was freedom in some forms on Rogue One, less so in other ways. But sure, yeah, I mean, Alphabet Squadron, um, you know, all of the characters except Hera, I think, were entirely um, original, you know, not not pitched from the, the Lucasfilm side. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly there were, you know, what I have found working with, with the story group over the years is that they were very good at seeing and identifying opportunities and also good about not pushing them. So, sure. you know, if they get a an outline and they go like, hey, so, you know, you've got this sort of side character who's, um, you know, mildly important to the, your story, but not sort of a central focus. We've got a character a lot like that and something that we have coming up. Would you like to make that person the same character? Um, oh. And, you know, if that works, then it's fantastic. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes as an author, you're like, well, actually I had, I was planning to kill this person off in book two. So why don't, why don't we make this character a little more distinct from the character that you've got planned for something else so that we don't feel like we're overlapping. And yeah, one of, one of the great things about, about working with, uh, with the publishing side and story group and and all the folks over at, uh, at Lucasfilm is that they're, they're very rarely prescriptive about this sort of thing, right? Like they're there to, to inform and guide, but not to dictate. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's been very few things that have, come up from their end where I've been like, really, you're, you're going to make me do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, 
so it's a pretty pretty healthy relationship great so being a being a, a trilogy of of books obviously you have you know, a, probably a, a fairly good general idea of how the whole trilogy is going to go. You have to think about it in that context in the beginning, I would imagine, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the first things that I did was put together sort of, I think it was maybe two pages with an overview of the entire trilogy. Uh, okay. Right. A nice, nice, tight, here's basically where we're going. So. I guess my follow-up question to that is how much how much do you as the story of like say when you're writing Alphabet Squadron for example how much of the story of the later books also comes together like do you do you find yourself having to keep all the documents open at the same time and like you frantically go and like fill in some story <laughs> points for the second book is that how that works um, I'm sure it's how it works for for some authors um, <laughs> from my part so you know I should talk a little bit about my my outlining process in general for this okay event. yeah sure so I am an incredibly thorough outliner. Um, mm-hmm. My outlines generally run about a fifth or a sixth of the length of the finished product. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah. So for you know a four hundred page book, that's you know eighty pages of outline. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I've. I've worked a lot of that out mentally by the time I'm writing. Um, mm-hmm. And my, you know, my outline for the, for the entire trilogy was not nearly as thorough. I didn't write, you know, three books worth of outline before starting on book one, mm-hmm. but I had a good impression of what I wanted to do. And as I wrote the, the outline for book one, I could have an eye to, okay, is this going to fit with what I'm, what I'm steering towards? I see. Nice. I see. Awesome. Uh, so on that same kind of outlining um, bigger process idea, did you have certain like books, movies, or, or stories outside of Star Wars that were like references or inspiration for you for Alphabet Squadron and Shadowfall? Um, you know, nothing, nothing really specific that was, uh, you know, this is, this is the model. You know, I, I did a fair yeah. amount of reading, um, you know, about, you know, real world, pilot experiences and sort of the the psychology of what that meant about PTSD um mm-hmm. about you know I did my research um, yeah yeah oh it, it shows I mean <laughs> just stuff you're talking about there from the first book I remember we would talk about how like harrowing it was especially with Erica with her PTSD and using the torture droid as that device we it it, it shows that you did all that research for sure um but it, I am, and thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, there there was no. It's it's more sort of a giant mash of uh, of ideas that mm-hmm. you sort of put put through the strainer that end up in the material rather right. than. Yeah, I mean, this this was exactly what I wanted it to feel like, and I you know I I could have used the original X-Wing novels for that, right? For a model of, of mood and feel. And mm-hmm. I intentionally did not do that because yeah. I did not write, want to write a pale imitation of the X-Wing novels, which is what would have ended up yes. happening, right? Like those, 100%. Yes. those are fantastic, beloved novels. Um, and, you know, Stackpole and, and Alston did amazing work with them. And I did not want to try to pretend to be either of them. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah, that's that's why I wasn't sort of using them as as my lodestone. Fantastic. Yes. yes we, we frequently have to have that conversation about um, 
like well, I mentioned earlier, like a lot of folks come from sort of the legends background or looking to get into canon. And we will often have to have the conversation about like, yes, okay, there are sort of fighter pilot books in canon, but it's different and you have to look at it different. It's more of a character study. We talk about that frequently. Like a lot of, a lot of the canon books are much more focused on the characters. Um, and your book honestly is, is one of the sort of big highlights, Alphabet Squadron is the big highlights of, of what really intense personal character study looks like. Like, and I think people certainly enjoyed that a lot. So I, I guess uh, my, my question is, how do you sort of, how do you sort of balance such intense personal characterizations with your sort of military background that you're, you're getting reputation for a lot in Star Wars, right? You were on the military panel at Celebration last year. You've had some military kind of focused books. Like, so how do you balance that sort of, it's it's yes it's big fancy combat and fights and bullets and all this kind of stuff with this sort of intense personal character development um it's it's a good question i mean i i think fundamentally the 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 action scenes need to serve the the character stories um right there needs to be character driven meaning coming out of those sequences and and part of the uh Part of the challenge doing a more military-focused novel in that regard, as opposed to, say, a a more kind of traditional space opera-y novel, um, is that these characters who are in a military context aren't necessarily going to have the personal stakes attached to every given fight that they're having because they're being ordered into situations that they're not necessarily choosing. Um, you know, when you look at Star Wars, right, Luke is very clearly deciding, I want to go have this adventure. I want to rescue this princess. I want to follow in the footsteps of my father. And every one of those encounters resonates with that journey that he is personally invested in. Um, that is not necessarily going to be true if you are a soldier in a larger organization. Um, So figuring out, all right, well, who are these characters such that, you know, and where, what are we interested in exploring about these characters such that even the fights that don't seem to have personal meaning to them end up being an important part of their journey or what we are revealing to the reader about them um, is sort of, that's, that's the challenge for me in a, in a military focused novel that still feels like Star Wars. Right. And it, I mean, you, and you, and you hit it for, 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 for our part. I think, I think that definitely shines through. Um, And on that level of, of the, the technical element, moving away from the people to the ships to the actual text. You said earlier, you know, you don't want to write this necessarily as tech head stuff, but you definitely write in a way that we can tell what the characters care about, especially uh, Will, for instance. Will Lark, I've told a lot of people I freaking am obsessed with the dude, and the way he talks <laughs> about his ship in Alphabet Squadron is very different from anyone else. Um, he treats it almost as a friend, as an extension of himself, whereas someone like Nath treats his ship like, hold together, baby. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, held together with duct tape. Um, do you have one of those ships or one of those character relationships that you really just love to write the most? And do you have, even beyond that, like, a type of ship in Star Wars that you really just love to write about? That's, 
That's a really good question. So for, for the first part, um, you know, a, a charactership relationship that I really enjoy writing. Uh, so this doesn't really show up until Shadowfall. Um, I really enjoy writing uh, the relationship um, between uh, Kai, Soren Kai's and his TIE fighter. Um, oh, yeah. yeah I, uh, listeners, I have read it. Uh, it's true. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail about sort of right. how much of that we see, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, he is, um, you know, he is our, our imperial ace of aces, and mm-hmm. it's a while before we finally get to see him in a tie. Um, mm-hmm. But, and part of it is, of course, you know, you look at it objectively, ties are kind of terrible ships, right? Like they, <laughs> yeah, they, they fall apart if you <laughs> scrape them too hard. Um, yes. yeah. So seeing, you know, what, what makes an Imperial ace actually passionate and excited about this thing and how it operates as an extension of him um, was a lot of fun to, uh, to write. I mean, a lot of the the pilot ship relationships are fun, but that's that's the one that springs to mind. Is like, yeah, I got a lot of I got a lot of joy out of uh, out of that one. Um, as for sort of personal favorite ship, um, I really enjoy the B wing. Um, it's, it's such so a nice. weird <laughs> weird ship, and yeah, you know, it's there's no reason in the world for it to be able to pivot around its own <laughs> cockpit. Um, right? it's, it's such an action figure of a ship, uh, but figuring yes. out fun fun things to do with that uh, mm-hmm. when you're writing a space battle, uh, it's it's just really enjoyable. Yeah. For Especially me. with someone who is as um, opinionated as Chess about yeah. everything her ship does. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think That's doing awesome. B-Wing with a, a more straight-laced pilot would probably be less fun, um, mm-hmm. but, but Chess lets me go kind of crazy with the with with the weird aspects of the ship for sure that's awesome that's awesome so i know we're i know we're kind of running out of time here and there's probably a limited amount you can tell us about this but it was just announced that you're going to be part of the empire strikes back from a certain point of view project right um can you tell us anything about how your sort of involvement kind of came out with that i know they've not announced hardly anything about it we know nothing (laughs) but everyone's starting to piece together kind of what authors are involved and obviously your name is on the list so kind of how does that how did that come about how did you get involved in that project yeah i mean so i i did a a story for the first uh certain point of view so Mm -hmm. you know i I had i had an in there um, (laughs) and they were they were kind enough to to reach out to me uh about doing the the second one as well uh the the interesting things about those projects is always the uh, the claiming process. Uh, oh, I bet. Right, because <laughs> you know there's there's a lot of characters in these films, but there's also a ton of authors on these projects. Yes. Everyone, Everyone wants. The, we all want Will Row Hood. I get it, but only one person can write it. <laughs> well, it's, it's fascinating to see what goes fast too. I mean, mm-hmm. I. Uh, I think I had gone into the the first certain point of view project. Like I, I got the email and there was, I don't remember if it was a Google doc or how it was, was being done, but there was a mm-hmm. list of sort of what was being claimed. I was like, okay, well, what, what are the two things that sort of first spring to mind? And I, I think if I'm remembering this right, I was like, you know, it, It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun to do something with maybe maybe the Dianaga and the Crash Compactor or or the Mouse Droid, and I go to to look at the list and be like, really, people have blamed those. <laughs> <laughs> 
so uh that's fantastic yeah empire, the empire strikes back version was a little bit similar uh but i'm i'm pleased with uh with with what i ended up uh claiming for myself uh, i can't really say a lot more uh, beyond right. that but uh yeah lots lots more information on that one forthcoming yeah, it's That's it's awesome. funny, you know. You say that, and I'm imagining like uh, like a Wall Street office the second that that it opens, and people are just running with like slips of paper, being like, "Don't worry, I want this, I want this, I want this." <laughs> oh, cool! Qu- Twenty bucks on ice cream maker guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. So uh, so as as again as we as we end up here, and and again, thank you so much for for talking about this stuff. We freaking love it. Uh, a quick plug, everyone. Shadowfall does come out today. If you don't have it yet. That's that's wrong, um, but the last thing we like to ask all of our authors is: um, Star Wars, at its core, is kind of all about legacy. Um, it is about you know the history of what you leave behind and all that stuff. So, if you could pick, what would you like your legacy in Star Wars to be when people think of Alexander Freed? Ooh, that's that's a tough one. Um, I mean, my I immediately go to either the Alphabet Squadron trilogy or the Old Republic. You know, those are the, yeah. the largest things that I have worked on. Um, I was mm-hmm. I was trying to mentally do the math not too long ago and figure out if I have written more Alphabet Squadron yet than I wrote for the Old Republic. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's close. That is that is just a huge, huge game. Wow. wow. Are, yeah, just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of words of content to that thing. That's crazy. Uh, and you know, there's so much of that game that I'm I'm proud of. But I mm-hmm. I, I think if you absolutely made me choose, uh, I'd probably end up with with Alphabet Squadron. But uh, yeah, don't make me choose. No, well, I'll tell you what. We'll make sure that uh, that we keep plugging both every time we talk about you in the future. We'll we'll, we'll ensure it. <laughs> I I appreciate that. Of course. Oh man! So, uh, hey, before we let you go here, let's uh, let's make sure everyone can keep up with your work. Where can they find you online? Um, and and obviously, what do you have uh, other than Shadowfall? What's coming down the pipe that we can look out for? Sure. So, uh, best place to uh, find sort of updates on what I'm doing is uh, is my Twitter feed, and uh, that's at Alexander M. Freed. Um, I've also got a website which doesn't get updated quite as much as it should. But uh, major projects do end up there. I've also got a lot of articles on writing and game writing in particular on my website, which Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately are not terribly time sensitive. So people can wander through those archives. Um, And that website is alexanderfree.com. In terms of projects coming up, um, not a lot that I'm actually allowed to talk about right now. Doing (laughs) doing plenty of games material that you know I'm looking forward to to talking about publicly. And of Mm -hmm. course, uh, I'm I'm right now working on Alphabet Squadron three, so uh, that'll that'll show up and get an official announcement somewhere down the line. Yeah, which is called. Alpha Squadron 3. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Untitled third Alphabet Squadron novel. Oh, I, yes. I knew that would be the title. That's what I had my money on. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, thanks a lot for being here, Alexander. It's been a ton of fun talking to you. Um, you obviously had your hands on a lot of Star Wars projects, and it's always exciting to get to hear from the creators of what we love so much. So thanks a lot for being here, man. That is going to do it officially for this week's episode. If you want to help out this podcast, you can find us over on patreon.com slash Utini. We got all kinds of shows and awesome stuff coming your way. A special thank you to Cheryl Bell, Drew Iberano, and Patrick Ortiz on our Jedi High Council. 
and Ross Orlando on our Alliance High Command for your amazing support. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Freddie, our producer, and Wes, our co-host and community manager. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you.